us. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome and welcome back to the When I Knew Microscope Pregnancy Crossover Extravaganza. Samantha, I'm the chief anchor and CEO here at Whatever You Say Productions, and I host a lot of shows. But one of my one of my favorites is uh, When I Knew, where we focus on human interest pieces and just what it means to be an actual person. And my other favorite show that I'm not on because I'm not a scientist is Microscope. So I am not alone here in the studio today. I am joined by my friends Mike and Kevin. I don't know if you guys know this, but I refer to you as Mike PhD and Kevin PhD because I'm just like. <laughs> I'm just ready Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Not quite yet. We're almost there. <laughs> yeah, but, like, tell people it anyway so they get used to it. <laughs> That's literally when I'm, like, on your social media accounts, when I'm doing press releases, when I'm on your website, when I'm doing all these things, I always sign it, like, my PhD, Kevin PhD, because for me, you've already written your dissertations, you've graduated in your doctors. But you're only, you know, you're only so far from that. Yeah. <laughs> away. So, Kevin, for people who missed the last episode, what is it that you are getting your PhD in exactly? Hey, everyone. I'm Kevin. I'm working on my PhD in molecular and cellular biology, specifically looking into the biology of photosynthetic little microorganisms. Little microorganisms. And Mike, when you are not throwing a petri dish across a lab, yelling "God damn it!" PhD in. Well, I mean that's what I'm getting my PhD. In. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I'm getting my PhD in microbiology, and I study the role of microbes in the Amazon jungle and how they cycle methane. There you go. Awesome. And I uh, have a PhD in life from a local community college, but hey, you know what? It works. I own two companies and I think everything, you know, different strokes for different folks. So the reason that we're doing this collaboration is, Mike, <laughs> the reason we are doing Sorry. this collaboration is because I am pregnant and my husband and I were completely overjoyed over the moon when we first found out that we were expecting and that joy very quickly was replaced by anger. It was replaced by fear. And I think more than anything, it was replaced by confusion. Now, let's not get it twisted. We knew going into this that I would have to get ultrasounds and do urine tests and blood tests and, you know, maybe a little genetic testing. But what we weren't prepared for was how much of this entire experience was completely and totally out of our control. So on our last episode, we talked about the science of actually getting pregnant and how precisely perfect everything has to be at every single moment for that entire gestational period or no dice. Why are we doing this? Because I think that a lot of people out there struggle getting pregnant and it's very easy to turn around and feel like, shit, it's my fault. You know, whether it's the man or the woman, it's my fault that I'm not getting pregnant when really it's not. So not only do we want to comfort you and say, hey, don't worry about it, man. It's not you. It's science. We also want to talk to you about the science. So on this week's episode, or this month's episode, rather, I am going to be talking to the guys about genetic dominance, the fight for not only hair color, eye color, how someone's teeth turn out, but I'm also talking about predetermined genetic dispositions. 
how, you know, how does it work if the mother is predisposed or the father's predisposed or like both, like how genes determine who the hell we are going to end up being. Then I also want to talk a little bit about why it is that we can test for things like Down syndrome and spina bifida, but we cannot yet confidently test for other diagnoses like autism or cerebral palsy. So, Mike. I'm going to start with you because last episode, I felt that I was shading you a bit. I was giving you a bit of a read. I promise you I was not. But Mike, let's talk just about the genetics of things. Can you talk about how, like, it, how does it happen? <laughs> so, like, pick a genetic something. So when that, a like, mommy and a daddy happen? love you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, okay, let's talk just about eye color. Okay. How do we determine eye color? Well, how do, not us. How do our bodies so, and our genes? Right. I, so there are genetics in and of itself is, it's almost like a tree. And so I'm pretty sure most of us, well, I don't know about most of us, but I've heard of Mendelian genetics. And long ago, there was this Franciscan priest. Kevin, right. right? Was he Franciscan? Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so he was a Franciscan priest who did a lot of genetics on pea plants. And what he found out is that there are dominant genes and recessive genes. So a dominant gene is something that in, if the parent has it, then you'll find it in all of the offspring. Although a recessive gene is, it's sort of like a hidden expression. So like, one example is pink flowers. Oh, battery's low. Okay, so pink flowers. If dad has pink flowers and mom has white flowers, all offspring are going to have white flowers if the mom's is dominant. And so it's more complex than that with a lot of other things in terms of like height, weight, um, you know, how a person thinks because there's a multiple, multiple genes that play into that. Right. So you have dominant and recessive for all of those mm -hmm. who are all doing this interplay. But like more specifically uh, on eye color. So eye color, that has to do with sort of the level of melanin production that's within the iris oh. of your eye. So if, you know, both your mom and your dad have these cells that make a lot of melanin, then you're going to have very brown eyes. But if you, your mom has, brown eyes, uh, which make a lot of melanin, and your dad has blue eyes, which don't make a lot of melanin, then you'll either have brown or blue eyes. Or mm -hmm. I think green, actually, in that case. Yeah, yeah green so is another it, offshoot. It's of a that. whole other thing, right? And I, it, I think it all depends on sort of, like, the way the light hits. Because mm -hmm. I even know some other people that have, like, one blue eye and one green eye. Yeah, oh, yeah, my husband has sexy. that. Yeah. Oh, does he? His eyes are constantly changing color, whereas mine are just like straight. I'm so full of shit, my eyes are brown. Like, I'm just Me straight too. brown. And so he's really hoping that our daughter will have blue eyes. I'm like, ooh. So, all right, so Kevin, let's get a little bit more, let's go past like eye and hair and whatever. Let's talk about things like osteoporosis, all right? So let's say let's that like- jump. <laughs> let's just jump straight to the bones. So say for example, like 
Osteoporosis is something that I think pretty much anyone can get. And it has to do with not only your genetic makeup, but also how you decide to take care of your body. But let's say that, like, what would happen if the father's bone density was better than the mother's, but the mother was able to, like, metabolize certain, like, proteins and, like, store calcium better than the father's body? Like, what? What does that mean for the child? Does that example make sense? Yes. And that's a great question. And it's kind of a weird answer because we have to take a few steps back. Okay. One thing is that we got to figure out what what exact genetic traits are contributing to the father's adequate or superior bone density. (laughs) And the same thing for the mother. Then we also have to consider during the... Uh, creation of sex cells. Um, Just a little bit of background. Most of the cells in our body have two copies of every gene. And this is where we get that dominant versus uh, recessive. Mm -hmm. Sometimes having both copies is super important. Sometimes just having one copy is good enough. But when sex cells are made, the division of those genes means that each sex cell will only get one copy or the other copy. It will never get both. And when the Mm -hmm. sperm and the egg come together during fertilization, that means there's one copy from mom and one copy from dad coming together. And so for all of those um, traits that you just listed, I would be willing to bet, just like Mike just mentioned, Mendelian traits, which are very AB on or off like that. Would be willing to bet the traits you just mentioned about bone density are not like that at all. Usually, those (laughs) controlled by hundreds, thousands of different genes, and so you have this um, uh, the term meiotic segregation of different gene copies. And when you do that hundreds or thousands of times, predicting what ones are going to get paired together during fertilization. Um, really becomes a total crapshoot. So there's really not yeah. a great way, okay. especially for the majority of the traits, because most traits that we see are controlled not by one gene, but by hundreds or thousands. Yes. That's yeah. cool. That's really, and, and you know, like couples are always like, oh, he gets that from, from my side. Or like, yeah. oh, he got that from my side. You and literally get all of it like, from both. <laughs> you all <laughs> get everything <laughs> from both. Like there's no <laughs> putting it up like that. Right, That's chance cool. also plays a role into it because who knows would... which sperm is exactly. going to, you know, impreg- impregnate which egg, exactly. right? So that's which ones thing. get which copies of which during meiosis? It's a random process, meiosis yeah. itself, yeah. And well, this is why, and this is like another thing that people need to consider when you know having trouble getting pregnant or you know going through this process, like it is literally. It's not personal. It's science. And every single sperm and every single egg is different. And every single fertilization or, or whatever is completely different. That's why we have brothers and sisters that aren't clones of us. Because everyone is so Exactly. Unless they're identical different. twins. Because then yeah. it was exactly the same egg and sperm. That's exactly. the only situation where that will happen. God, it's if just so they wild. are maternal. If they're identical, if they're paternal, it's different egg, different sperm. If it's paternal, right, exactly. Okay, yeah. So, all right, let's talk a little bit about the the genetic testing. So I'll talk a little bit about this because I've just gone through it and come out the other side. And, oh, my God, I'm so glad I don't have to do this again. 
So I am adopted, which means that I have absolutely no knowledge of my family medical history, predispositions. I don't know jack shit, man. I'm in the dark. So I decided with my husband that we were going to get something called an NT test. So N is in Nancy, T is in Tom, which stands for nuchal translucency. This is a test that specifically looks for the chances of you having a child with Down syndrome. And what they do is they go and do a special ultrasound. Um, and what I mean by special is not only does it need to be at a certain position, but it needs to be a certain pixelation and photo quality um, hmm. so that they can measure the amount of fluid behind the fetus's neck. Every single fetus has fluid behind their neck, but here in the U.S., the normal base rate is 2.5 millimeters. So if your child's fluid measures above that, then the chances of them having Down syndrome is, well, frankly, there is a chance. When you are done with that, and my, my levels were 2.8, and what's interesting is if you go into Canada or parts of Europe, their medical standard is 3.0 millimeters. So this is just the fear tactic of the United States of America, you know, good old Uncle Sam pissing us <laughs> off and scaring the shit out of us. So weird. You go on to get something called an NIPT test, which is a blood test and that the mom does. It's, I think, just one or two vials because my blood is the baby's blood and the, the baby's chromosomes are flowing through my blood. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. like we talked about in the last episode. This is no longer my body. This is our body and I have no control over it. So what they're looking for in that blood test are the three different types of chromosomes uh, or chromosomal formations that signify one of the three types of Down syndrome. Um, my test came back negative. And um, so, you know, it is what it is, you know, great, not great, you know, whatever, however you want to look at it. Um, but now we're moving on to the, the genetic testing. But before I get too deep into that, Mike and Kevin, why is it? that we can test and look for things like spinal issues. Uh, we can look for Down syndrome, but they're only now starting to develop like standardized baselines for testing for autism um, or something as impactful as cerebral palsy. What is the division between these different diagnoses and why is it that we can detect some but not others? As of right. I, yeah, Kevin, um, I guess I can start. So I, I think there's three main reasons. One, it probably just has to do with where the science is at its point, right? Like Down syndrome um, not only um, <clears throat> manifests physically, like you can see it, but the like, genetic signature of it is very um, obvious, right? So in Down syndrome, they have one extra x one extra x chromosome or y chromosome uh, 21st, 21st oh it's chromosome. the 21st chromosome right exactly so it, it's something that can easily be identified through older techniques and also you know it's very physical it, it you can see when someone has it although mm -hmm. for cerebral palsy or autism there are far more genes involved and mm -hmm. we can't just uh, suddenly identify what those genes are that will result in you mm -hmm. know, one of those different conditions. So they need to mature more. 
and be thermal <clears throat> present in order for it to be detectable. Exactly. Because yeah. I think with cerebral palsy, there's also a physical <clears throat> manifestation as well. And they usually say like, hey, you know, first two, three months, watch your baby. Because if they, I, all babies usually hate tummy time, but if they're not able to pick up their neck, if they can't roll themselves over, like if they can't focus, like those are all signs um, that, that something's not quite right and you're going to need to seek additional medical attention. Um, yeah, it's just really interesting to me. So Kevin, if you had to like look into a crystal ball, do you think that your community, the scientific community, within let's say maybe the next 50 years, once they've gathered more data and have more research to back this up, do you think we'll reach a point where they can just take, without an amniocentesis, which is when you get a needle put through your abdomen, uh, just through urine and blood, do you think you guys will get to a point where you can be like, yep, and here's all the things we can test for? Or is it gonna take far more time than 50 years? It's really gonna depend. If there's a way to get the whole genome of the child from just blood or urine, which that would be, that would be the thing. Which, right. given, given what you said when you went for the, the Down syndrome testing, I assume mm -hmm. there is. And then having whole genome sequencing be, being very available, very affordable, um, and just a regular healthcare setting. And then the way more um, overarching important thing here, I think, would be, this is just my opinion, I'm not mm -hmm. sure if autism is a very well-defined disease state such that you could have a gene to phenotype linkage uh, very mm -hmm. strongly. And what Mike was just saying, it's likely controlled by many, many genes. But if we were able to have one-to-one you know, -one linkages of a specific mutation in this or that gene and um, couple that with whole genome sequencing of the baby's genome in utero, that mm -hmm. would probably be the best way forward to having what you just said be, be yeah. possible. And autism is tough because they say that it's a spectrum for a reason, because it yeah. is quite literally a spectrum. And then and most things easier, in biology, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> are much a spectrum. easier in most cases to diagnose a male with autism than female. Usually females will go far into their late teens and in some cases their early 20s before being diagnosed with either Asperger's or autism or something, you know, within that realm. So it is still very complex. Um, so I learned something. I actually, let me, <laughs> let me put on my scientific hat because I learned a couple things. <laughs> I am really proud of myself. So I did the genetic testing again, because I, I just wanted to know, cause how the hell am I going to know should. I was left yeah. in a basket on the steps of an orphanage when I was a week old. Like that's all I know. Uh, and since then, I've developed a bunch of food allergies and I've got asthma. It's wonderful. Right. So for this genetic <laughs> screening, they took blood from both myself as well as my husband. We found out that I am a carrier for hearing loss and deafness, which frankly is fine by me because I know sign language and that's not a big deal at all. Uh, and the second thing that I am a carrier for is sickle cell anemia. So what I learned was that huh. if, if I carrier, but my husband is not, then the chances of the baby having either of those things is very, very low. If I am a carrier for hearing loss and deafness, and my husband is also a carrier for hearing loss and deafness, 
even then our child only has a 25% chance of having hearing loss or deafness. I am so fascinated by how you guys even come up with those calculations. To be able to shout out a percentage like that, Mike, how much data do you need to gather to be able to just over your shoulder casually in an OBGYN office be like, it's only 25%. What kind of research goes into that? For a Mendelian trait, surprisingly little. In fact, like a <laughs> like problem. And of one. <laughs> not one, but follow a family that has that trait in it for like three generations and you'll be able okay. to come to that yeah. number. Yeah. Like yeah. eight wow. to 12 people. Yeah, for sure. It's <laughs> that kind of question is something you'd see on a intro genetics test for real. If it's mm-hmm. strictly okay. Mendelian, inheritance like that, like what it sounds like. Yeah. So if you are a carrier, uh, but your husband is not, this all goes back to that meiotic segregation we were okay. talking about earlier. Cause in you're a carrier, which means you could also provide the dominant gene mm-hmm. and then your dominant gene with your husband's dominant gene, your, your, um, offspring is double dominant. And then they're no longer a carrier. That carrier genotype is no longer in the generational lineage of your family. Um, but if, if you give the carrier one and your husband gives the dominant, uh, your, you give the recessive, your husband gives the dominant, your child will also be a carrier and that can go on. But those things can be extinguished so readily uh, because of that dominance hierarchy. That is so mm-hmm. interesting. You know, we talk a lot about in, in sci-fi and things like that. Oh, you know, in 100 years, in 200 years, in 500 years, human beings will be like such and such and such. So then tell me, how does it happen if there is no history on either side of hearing loss or deafness and, and the child is not sat next to, you know, a, a fire truck alarm, how are children then born with hearing loss or deafness? How the hell does that happen? Yeah, it could be so, something so recessive that it just would not show up. Just statistically, really? would be so unlikely to show up that it would take so many generations that you wouldn't even know about the person who was the last one to have it. It Wild. could be someone who lived in like fifteen hundreds or like thousands of years ago for something crazy. Maybe, maybe not that long ago, but I know. I mean, so the other thing is, it could just have mute. It could be a mutation that occurred. Because when those cells are replicating, you know, like you could have some mutation that results in sort of this new, what we refer to as alleles, um, like mm-hmm. a new allele of hearing loss. A version of a gene. Just that, you know, child's lineage. That's crazy. Which is kind of, you know, that's like yeah. how evolution kind of works. And it's really happening spontaneously in all of our cells all the time. So there's always a chance for that to happen, especially if it happens in the very early stages of development, like when the um, embryo is only like four, eight cells. If something yeah. gets messed up there, all the rest of the cells are going to have that right. uh, mutation. So it can happen it spontaneously in utero as well. You know, and like the mutation can occur in the cells that respond to the uh, wave vibrations, which measure sounds, or it Mm -hmm. can be happy, you know, it could be a mutation in the genes that tell those cells where to go, or it can be, uh, you know, a mutation in the cells that produce. So like you have crystals in your ears and like, so, you know, cells can, (laughs) you know, cells produce that and things like that. So there are thousands of ways in which a single mutation can just randomly, spontaneously cause a child to have hearing loss. Gee, 
So basically, going back to what you were saying all Jeez. along, like you are not in control here. Like yeah. you're, you're just not. not anything. No. You're you're not in the driver's seat. None of us are in the driver's seat. And you know, we, and you've ta- you guys have talked about this in previous episodes on your show. Like, yes, you can exercise. That's always a nice thing. And absolutely, if you want to find a vitamin regimen and a diet that works for you. Go for it. But at the end of the day, this shit is so far out of your realm of control. You might as well just eat a cheeseburger, make some friends, and enjoy your life. Because the rest is just up to fate, science, and and everything else. Oh, my God. All right. So, Mike and Kevin, thank you so much for joining me here on my show. And thanks for having me on your show. The next episode that we will come out with is we're going to go through all of the, and excuse my language, but we're going to go through all the bullshit gimmicks that you find within either the pregnancy community or the parenting community. All these miracle lotions and potions and toys and other shit that, that try to promise that they will either eliminate something or encourage something else. And I want to look at this from not only like a biological standpoint and like a skin standpoint, but also like psychological and development, you know, what toys are actually worth it and what ones are doing more harm than good. Is there a lotion out there that can truly help you with your stretch marks? Or are you just going to have to learn to love your body? We're going to be going through all of it. And from a scientific standpoint, so you can say, I know scientifically, this is a waste of my money. And then you can decide whether or not you want to spend or not. So, do join us next month for that episode. Thank you again for being here. We're really having fun with this series. If you want to learn more about us and some of our other shows, you can go online to WISP.us. You can follow us on Instagram. I do my best uh, to keep up there. But anyways, from whatever you say, productions, my name is Samantha. I'm Kevin. And I'm Mike. And we'll Thank see you, you next all for month. Listening. Yeah, Bye-bye. thanks, guys. Bye.